Sierra's mother was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer at the age of 35 when Sierra was just one year old. After a four-year battle, they lost their mom when Sierra was five and her brother was eight. If you are enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review. It helps others find the podcast as well. And now, Sierra's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Sierra, um, and unfortunately, Sierra is a part of the club, um, and she has decided that she'd like to share her story with us today. So I'm going to turn the mic over to Sierra and let her um, introduce herself and tell us the story of her mom, Susan, who we, we've mm-hmm. talked about already this morning. And then, as always, I'll come back with a couple of questions at the end. So. Thank you so much for being here, Sierra. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So as we talked about, you know, I came across this podcast um, through a viral Instagram and immediately felt like a sense of community and a sense of connection. Um, This part of my life is something I really haven't shared with anyone. I've shared, you know, I've been in therapy for years and it's something we just can only start to touch on. I've done a lot of work myself, but it's something really, really scary to talk about and really painful. Um, So hearing, you know, just having it normalized through the podcast has been huge and kind of gave me the courage to apply and want to, you know, talk about this as well. Um, So my mother, Susan, she passed away when I was five. Um, She was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was one. I told myself I wasn't going to cry, already getting emotional. Um, And I think so for me, the experience of loss a lot of it because I was so young is just the absence of. Um, so it's like the dual nature of the loss was, you know, on the one hand, you have the trauma of watching someone terminally ill, um, watching, you know, your mother just not be able to eat, the nausea, the pain, the losing weight, like watching the disease progress, losing her, the trauma of that, but then decades later of not having anyone. Um, And that's the hard part. I think that I still struggle with is like, you know, I'll always miss her. There's grief activities I can do to work around that loss, but there's nothing that I can really do to fill what I don't have. Like I can work through feelings of sadness and feelings of grief, but that emptiness is something that I haven't found a filling for yet. Um, And so the other part of my story, I guess, is the cultural piece. So my dad is Turkish. That plays into this too, because a lot of it growing up was just very gender-based in my house. So women are very different from men. There's a very distinct role. There's a head of the household. There's a homemaker. um, And the mother is supposed to fill that. I don't have a sister. I, you know, I didn't have a mother growing up. And so as a young child, like six or seven, I fell into this role of having to take care of myself, the house, everyone's feelings, my brother, my dad, like really literally like being the mother at such a young age um, further complicated this whole experience for me because I was still trying to grieve and make sense of that loss myself. And I had, I, I mean, I wish I had more support, but unfortunately I didn't have a place to talk about it. Um, so here I am like thrown into this role that I didn't ask for, that I didn't know what to do with. Um, And I always wished that I had guidance and I wish that I had a maternal figure there to kind of 
not only support me, but show me like what I'm supposed to do with myself, how I'm supposed to handle these tasks. Like I had no, I just felt so alone. Um, we didn't talk about my mom much. So after she passed, uh, it just kind of just like, it just like disappeared. Like we just acted like, you know, she, she never was. Um, my dad didn't want to talk about it we didn't get put into counseling. You know, we were, my brother was eight, I was five. Um, I think, you know, the school was aware. My aunt and uncle stepped in. They were very, very helpful in taking care of us. Two sets of aunts and uncles. Um, they let the school know, my teachers knew, but no one really like sat down and talked with me about my mom. And like, this is what happened. And this is um, just, it. I just didn't, I was too young to understand really. So she just, abruptly left I felt like it was my fault I felt like I somehow wasn't good enough I caused her to go away like as a child I'm like what did I do wrong um and that's something I still like to this day I still try to figure out and I still struggle with it's like logically I know it's not my fault but because I left she left me at such a young age I still like feel like I could have done more and I'm powerless. Um, so that's something I'm like, I still, it's like a deep wound that logic doesn't fix. Emotions just override in those moments. And I'm like, you know, I was a kid, I was helpless. I wish I had spent more time. I, I remember her, you know, there were times when like I would have been misbehaving and she would have been disciplined, like, hey, don't do that. And I would just be kind of making fun and mocking and play. And I was playful, I was four or five, but looking back, I'm like, man, if I had handled that differently, or like, if I had spent more time, you know, really absorbing those moments with my mom, would I feel any differently now? And I still have regrets, even though I was so young, and it has nothing to do with my behavior, I still feel like that it's a burden I carry, like somehow I caused this loss to happen. Um, and to get back on track with the cultural thing, that followed me my whole life. So growing up as like a you know, you go through middle school, you go through high school, you develop into like a young woman, you go through college. And this whole time I'm, I'm having friends who are like close with their moms and like, you know, you're having boyfriends and you're, I don't want it getting, like, I had no feminine element of my life. I was just like a tomboy. I had my dad and my brother. I had no idea what to do with myself. I'm like, you know, I just, I don't fit in with these girls. I don't fit in with the women, it was always very awkward for me to have women around. Um, I mean, I, I did have my aunts, I was close with them um, and I love them both dearly, uh, but it it wasn't enough time to really feel maternal for me. Like, you know, seeing an, an aunt on the weekend or seeing, you know, a friend's mom when you go to play with them, you don't build any sort of connection. It doesn't really influence um, the type of woman that you become. I just felt so alone in shaping my identity because I was without the the woman that I came from. I didn't know like, where did I come from? I know I see parts of myself in my dad. Um, I don't see the feminine parts of myself in my dad. Where do my feminine parts come? You know, where does my maternal, my nurturing aspect, like I just, I felt so just like empty and so alone and isolated. Um, and I think during that time, I, I leaned into spirituality a lot. And that was something that from a very young age, I think carried me through kind of organically. 
as a young, very young kid, I, I don't even think I had a concept of religion. No one ever really taught me, but I always felt a presence, especially after my mom died. I absolutely felt a presence of her and I kind of tied that into a God and I didn't know like who I was praying to or who I would like, who was on the other end of my prayers in this, um, like, I don't know, religious sense, but I always felt a connection and I always felt protection. Um, and so in the midst of just this total isolation with the outside world and not feeling like I connect with any of the girls in my class or, you know, the girls at school, like I had a very deep connection in some spiritual sense with a God and with my mom. Um, that's something I took with me all growing up and I still have with me today that I try to use as like a way to honor her and as a way to feel connected is to just continuously keep my faith and keep that childlike innocence alive where like I felt so clearly that I had that connection with her I felt it in my heart no one told me it was there but I knew it was there and now I still try if like in my darkest moments I will absolutely go to a quiet place meditate and try to get that connection back um so that is something positive to kind of take away from it but I just I think so much of my journey and my story has just been trying to understand loss, trying to understand absence, and trying to understand my own identity um, after after this experience. And, you know, with, we still to this day haven't really talked about it within the family. My dad can't even say my mom's name. Um, it's been 23 years. He will still say she, or, you know, he can't say Susan. Um, he won't bring it up. I mean, he won't talk about it. Like, it became so stigmatized and I didn't want to burden anyone else by making them so uncomfortable to bring it up. So I had to turn inwards and try to cope with that loss myself. Um, and I still am. I mean, like, as we talked about briefly before, you know, the recording, it never goes away. It's like years later and I'm still feeling the same weight I felt as a kid, not every day, um, not with the same intensity, but it's there. Like it, it heals a little with time and it shifts, but it will never fully, I can never get my mother back. It will never fully be corrected. I can never replace the time I had with her. I can never, like the years without her, you know, I can never fill that with anything. My, my existence, who I am is because of um, that absence. And so it's been formative in a lot of beautiful ways. Um, and, you know, I've, I feel that I've become more spiritual. Um, I've been, I've been blessed to have a lot of courage and strength come from this, but there are still moments of like deep pain, especially around just seeing other women um, with their parent, you know, with their mom and knowing that I don't have that and knowing that I can never, again, I can never get it back. I'm rambling, I'm going in another circle, but it's just to kind of, you can't really articulate the loss and the pain. Um, and I'm now like, we're at an age, you know, I'm 28 and I'm having friends who have parents who are getting sick and parents who are passing. And I just feel like my timeline was so accelerated. And it's like, I do feel so connected and I feel sorry for them and I feel supportive of them. But at the same time, there's this little itty, bit of resentment where it's like at least you had a lifetime with them and it and that comes from pain it's not um to trivialize anyone else's loss but it's like I can feel that that's the pain I carry with me even now there's still a bit of 
pain and resentment that I didn't have that. And, you know, in seeing people now kind of go through that with their parents, I am doing my best to be supportive. And I absolutely, um, I mean, I will always be there for friends who need me, but it also comes at a cost where it kind of stirs up my own, my own loss. And it's like, you know, I, I experienced that when I was five and I, it's very different. Maybe it would be much more devastating for me to experience it at an older age. I don't know what that experience would be like, but I just, I look at it and it brings me so much pain to know that a little child, you know, a young girl had to go through that. Um, and that is something in this podcast that's been very, very comforting is hearing other people who have shared the same experience. It's not an experience I would wish on anyone, but it's something I felt like I had to go through this lifetime just trying to understand on my own. Um, so having, you know, having hearing other people talk about it is also has been a huge blessing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's very cultural. It's very um, it's an absence of more than a loss for me. And it's it's so much about identity, I think, are the main hallmarks and the blessing is that my spirituality has largely come from this yeah I'm on people who don't know I'm on my phone using my phone these days and the buttons are not the same <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I love I mean I'm I don't love any of it because it is it's devastating but that you see it you know that it's the absence of instead of the loss of because you were you know five it was a loss, yeah. but now, you, like you said, you're dealing with the absence of these other 23 years that has been um, since that. And exactly. I don't, I, I don't think we talk enough about that identity loss. Like, yeah, yeah, because it it is like I know my my own the girls mostly have said to me like, how did you learn how to become a mom? And I'm like, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it. It still impacts me now because I cannot conceptualize having children. And I, I really believe that came from this. Like, I just can't fathom being a mother myself. I, I think it's because of not having one. Like, I just don't know how a mother behaves or what they do. Like, I don't, you know, I didn't have the, I will say I didn't have the best father either. So I don't really know, you know, what a parent even is supposed to do. I have a very nurturing hard. I'm great with animals. I'm great with children. But when it comes to like my own, I just feel like that emptiness is, has really been a burden and it really weighs on my life decisions. It weighs on the risks I'm willing to take. I mean, it impacts every part of me. Like I hate being celebrated. I don't like, I didn't go to graduation. I didn't go to prom. I didn't go to any of my college graduations. Like I didn't, I don't go to these things where I'm the center of attention because I don't have a parent or, you know, I don't feel worthy of these celebrations without, like, I didn't have a mother's cheering me on growing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think like to touch on the resentment again, it's not, I shouldn't call it resentment, but it's like, I wish I had kind of thing. It's like, I see other people so willing to take risks and so comfortable with who they are. And I see that they had supportive parents behind them. Um, and I see that women had strong female role models to kind of like guide them. And I feel like without that, 
I have developed into someone and I know that I have good traits, but I don't feel confident in who I am. I haven't mm -hmm. had like that mother cheering me on. I feel like that's what a woman, what a mother does. And I never had that like unconditional support. Mm -hmm. So wow. I just, yeah. You're going to have to learn how to be that person for yourself, unfortunately, as I think it was something that, I mean, I'm 53, so I have a few quite a few years on you. Yeah. And it's really only been since the loss of my sister and the pandemic that I was like, like did some deep diving. And yeah. I think we have to learn how to be when we don't have our moms or those cheerleaders or, and I have, you know, I have a beautiful stepmother who's actually, they got married the year after my mom died. Um, mm. um, and she's been great. Um, but it's, it's, and, and she and I have talked about this, like, it's still, still, it's, still not the same because it's not your, your mom. Um, yeah. But like you've mentioned a lot of things already, Sierra, that I think you have those maternal instincts already in you as a six, seven year old to that, to be yeah. uh, thrown into the role of the in charge of the household and everybody else's feelings and things like that. And that you specifically said that you didn't, you learned not to talk about her. You learned not yeah. to really draw attention to yourself. And you really went inward with all of that. Like, yeah, it's a lot of female maternal stuff happening there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I do by nature, I have that and probably by circumstances I do. Um, but it's painful still, you know, and it's not something I'm comfortable with. It, it's something I know is there, but I don't see it in myself. Cause I think a mother's job is also to like mirror and to reflect, um, the person that you are. And so like, I may identify this logically in myself, but if I don't have some external person also validating that for me, sometimes I doubt that it's real, if that makes sense. So, you know, I do, I was forced to have this responsibility. Um, and I also, you know, as a side note, I feel like I did that to not let my mom down in a sense. Like I knew that I had to be on my best behavior. Again, I had to do these things. I want to be a good person. I don't, that came from this trauma as well. Um, but it, it comes with a cost and it's not always something like I'm even aware of, or I believe in myself, even though I, I may have these traits. I feel like just the absence of a mother to encourage that in me has made me doubt so many, so many elements of myself. Um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely just being thrown in and having, I think a very, like to kind of think back on the early years when she was sick, I didn't know what was going on. I was way too young to understand what cancer was or why, like she looked so different from other kids' moms. I didn't understand, but I for sure felt sadness like in other people. I remember, I didn't, I don't even think I knew like the names of these feelings yet. Um, I couldn't identify like sadness, happiness, but I just remember this feeling that would just like exude from everyone of just grief and sadness. And I guess, cause looking back, the whole family is dealing with a chronically ill, you know, everyone knew what was happening. Everyone knew she had two young children, but like, I didn't know, but I developed this hyper awareness of people's feelings because I not only felt her sadness, but I felt everyone else's sadness too. And I remember like her pain, like I remember to this day still like looking in her eyes and seeing the pain and it's like, that never goes away. Um, 
And it's made me like very aware of other people's feelings. Like I can look in someone's eyes now and see the pain really, really clear. Like I feel it from their soul, like because I've, I saw that in my mother and that was like just so formative for me. And I went on, I'm a therapist. Um, so I went on to be, you know, the person that does help everyone with their feelings and help the kids with grief. But it's because I did, like I had to, I developed this innate sense of like, I can pick up on people's emotions. I can, without you telling me you're sad, I see it just through your, like, I just see it through your eyes. Um, and then I think it just made me serious too. Like looking back at who I am, it kind of robbed me of the joy of childhood because I didn't have this lighthearted fun you know it was like yes people played with me as I went to preschool but like I would go and visit my mom in the hospital you know coming home it, like what four-year-old goes through that and it's made me just I think appreciate life in a different sense too like the loss of my mother has a thousand percent impacted my values and what I chose to do with my time and what I choose to do with my life um, I've just been very aware of how fragile life is and it, like from a very young age knowing that it's not permanent not wanting to take any of it for granted not wanting to be reckless with my body or with my health um, I, it's something I value so much because I know that like it can so easily be taken away from us our health can be taken away you know people we love can be taken away and so I just developed like this attitude of like approach life with a very genuine authentic and like grateful attitude and don't make errors like you know and for you just I try to be I try to be healthy I try to you know stay morally righteous I try to be loving like I I try to keep this legacy not only for her but because it's what I've learned from that experience is just to really take life in and to appreciate it and to make the best of it because it is not permanent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's oh. so true so true yeah um I also when you talked about that you felt like it was your fault that made my heart sad um yeah you know when you as a as a child um I remember that I I did the same exact thing I thought you know well if we had just my sister and I my parents yeah. had divorced and we had moved to live with my dad if we had just stayed if we had done this if we had done that and so I'm going to make an assumption about you here and I could be completely wrong, but let me just yeah. ask, like, if you are like a high functioning perfectionist, like you do all the things, check all the boxes, make sure everything's like. <laughs> Historically. <and> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Historically. I would say people say I'm pretty like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be a little more go with the flow lately, but that goes with like not wanting to make an error. It's like, okay, do things correct. Like just be good. Mm -hmm. just keep things together there's a there's a high pressure to not mess up and I think it is because of that like I've carried for years so much guilt and developmentally I mean it is there's I forgot like whose framework it is but there is a developmental stage that it's ego you feel like you know you control the world things happen because of you um and it was kind of at that age that I lost my mom so it makes sense why as a child I would interpret that as being my fault and I carried that for years like I just logically knew it wasn't but like like I would tell myself because she was diagnosed when I was one like maybe the birth of me set off her hormones mm. and made her have kids like I would create scenarios in my mind of like how I somehow caused her to get sick mm. and it I mean it's so like saying it out loud is so 
illogical, but I think that's what the brain does with pain. Like you, you have to compensate for something. You have to make an explanation when something hurts so bad. And so you just do whatever you can. And if something's so out of your control, that's even more devastating than just saying, well, it's my fault. And so like, I almost feel like I inserted myself into that to feel there was a sense of control to kind of make sense of this loss. Cause it really, I mean, it's so devastating. How does that make sense? You know, a child at that age is not supposed to lose them. A mother is not supposed to leave this earth with her two young children behind. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's like a, the brain's way of making sense of tragedy, I think. You know, I think you're the first person who's framed it that way. And I think that you're absolutely right, because I think either the brain causes amnesia, like if you listen to yeah. to some stories before, people are like, I just don't remember a lot from that time. Yeah. I think it either does that or how you're describing it. It tries, you logically know that it's not your fault, but your brain somehow, because the, op, you know, the alternative is, is so much more traumatic that you're, you know, to insert yourself in it, to try to make sense of it. I think, I think you're right about that, Sierra. I've never thought about that before. (laughs) Huh. Huh. Really interesting, isn't it? It is. So interesting. Yeah. Because the pain, I mean, if, if I step back and really think about it and realize how out of control I was, that's when it's overwhelming. It's like, that's when I really can't fathom that this this is actually life like this actually (laughs) this happened um and you kind of just go into autopilot your whole life and you survive and you have to go through life you have to go through school you have to find friends but you kind of just I you don't really sit with like how painful that loss is and it for me it's hit at different stages too like I'll have to revisit it once in a while and just remind myself in a good and bad way like yes this devastating thing actually happened but like what can I make what light can I make of it at this season in my life and like revisit that um and it's still just as painful every time I go back like it never feels better but the interesting thing is at each season of life there are different things to take away from that loss and so I've been able to kind of yeah I've been again blessed to be able to look at it through a different light and pull different things from that experience and kind of use that to heal. Um, But yeah, life is very unfair. And that was something I remember my mom telling me, like that was one of her mottos too, is like, Sierra, your life is gonna be hard. Life is not gonna be fair. Wow, that's pretty amazing to think about what kind of context she was saying that to a five-year-old. Well, I guess if she was sick, I'm sorry. Yeah, she was sick. She knew, yeah. Uh Wow. She knew, I mean, I can't imagine her feelings. I I really can't even imagine. Um, but she knew time was limited. I think she tried to like instill as much as she could into my brother and I in the time that she had. I think she was just like trying to give us life lessons. Like I remember her reading books about death. So I understood and I kind of understood like cancer. Um but she was really real. I mean, she was very real with us so that we, I guess, could understand what was happening the best that we could. Um, and yeah, she ended up, you know, she wrote us all letters and got us birthday cards up until we were 18 and bought us birthday gifts. So 
she was very aware of what was happening and that her time was limited. She did her best to kind of, you know, instill what she could in us at the time and then leave us with more for when she was gone. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So Susan still left her mark, even when she was physically not here (laughs) anymore. That's probably why you have that spiritual connection, you know, because she was thinking about you into the future. You know, she was providing those connections with you and your brother into the future. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, like I said, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, she left us with a lot, you know, not just the written and the gifts, but um, I think all of us are still, I mean, we are all still impacted. You know, my dad may not talk about it, but I also believe in a guardian angel and I see a lot of things that just shouldn't be in our lives. Like how, you know, how did we end up safe in this situation and how, like the fact that my brother and I, we, we kind of almost like raised ourselves. Like my dad was just absent, like kept himself busy and worked to avoid, I think the pain. Um, and I believe for sure she was watching out for us because, you know, there were situations where I'm like two kids, we were running around in the street. Like we should not have been safe. Um, there's like, no, I mean, we were, it sh- we shouldn't have been safe. Um, times where my dad like had a major, a couple years ago, he had a major car accident and was in shock trauma and broke his spine and like was not supposed to be okay. And he literally walked out of the hospital that day, like didn't even stay a night and then had to sign the waiver to be like, cause the hospital's like, we don't want to be liable. You should not be leaving. He walked out. I mean, it was miraculous. And I just think like in some way that must be my mom still watching over us. Um, that's my personal belief is that she is definitely still impacting our lives, that she's still, you know, keeping us close at heart. And I feel the connection too. like I said, if I really take that time to just sit and meditate in it and pray, like that childlike connection with her is still there. It's still very real. And that's why I've never once doubted that God is real or that afterlife is real, even though that wasn't necessarily in my teaching. It comes from my heart and in my experience. Like I feel that um, very authentically with her. And I think that's another, like an interesting gift of it happening as a child, because I think kids are very in tune in some spiritual sense. I mean, I think everyone is, you know, if, if that's a part of them. Um, but children especially have something where it's like, I think that they just, I don't know, they connect. Maybe it's just you're so connected to your mother at that age. Um, but something about losing her at at such a young age just made me very spiritual um, in a in a non-religious way almost, but just a very connected with my mother sort of way. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're still on that stage of the childlike wonder, like, you know, trees and birds and, you know, like everything is really <laughs> fascinating yeah. because you haven't been jaded so much by the world yet or, you know, told... Right. The, the places and the things of, of how things should be. You're just experiencing right. it with the wide open lens of a child. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. And even at her funeral, um, there was a like, you know, I don't remember kind of to your point of people just blocking things out. I completely blocked out the funeral. I think my brain just couldn't cope with that. Um, I do remember stepping out of the doors of it and seeing like the parking lot, but I have no memory of actually being inside the funeral home. But years later, someone found me, one of my mom's friends found me on MySpace 
um, back then when I had a MySpace <laughs> and she messaged me and she was like, you know, is this Sierra's, like, are you Susan's daughter? And I'm like, you know, yeah, I don't really know who you are, but yeah, nice to meet you, whatever. And she goes, you know, I've been looking for you for years. I really wanted to ask you something. And I'm like, okay, I'm an open book. And she goes, you know, do you remember your mom's funeral at all? I'm like, no, not at all. And she said, you know, when you were like a little girl, like she said she was in the back and there was like no doors or no windows near her. Um, and she could feel like this breeze at certain points of the funeral. And there was at one point where I was like up in the front, turned around and looked back towards her and said like, oh, look, I see mommy, I see mommy. And I'm like pointing up to like the back wall. And she's like, I felt this breeze. There was no windows, no doors. And you jump up out of your seat and say, you see your mom. And she's like, do you remember that moment? Do you remember seeing her? I'm like, like, thank you for sharing that, but I have no memory of it. So that may have just been like another childlike, you know, something real there. Um, it's not in my working memory. It's not in my conscious memory, but, you know, something happened. Um, and she remembers that. And she, you know, was kind enough to reach out and share it which I always thought was pretty incredible and very validating to the point that like, there is something real, there is life after this in my, in my belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you just made my hair stand yeah. up in my arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And actually now that I'm talking about it, I'm remembering another one, something similar where when she was still alive and I still remember this, like, just like yesterday, I'm seeing crows flying around her head and we're sitting inside. Um, so there are no birds, obviously. And it may have been like, you know, I'm a child. I Maybe I saw something on TV, whatever. But like, it still sticks out in my memory as such a strong memory. And I looked at her and I said, mommy, I see crows flying around your head. And they were like these like kind of cartoon looking like animated crows. Like I remember exactly what they look like now, but she didn't say anything. She just kind of looked at me and I just went off and played. And then later that night, you know, her friend came over and was just, yeah, like berating me. And my mom had to tell her to leave. But the friend came over and was like, do you know what you said to your mom? Like, what did I say? And she's like, you know, you saw crows. That means someone's going to die soon. And again, I didn't know that as a kid. How was I supposed to know that was the meaning of a crow? I was too young, but I vividly remember seeing those crows and like, it was so real. Like I literally thought there were birds flying around her head in that moment and I can still see it right now. Um, and I just, you know, blurted it out. But again, it, it was a couple months before she passed away. And it's like, I don't, there's no explanation. Like those things I just can't explain. And that has set me apart from people in life growing up too, because no one shares those experiences. And if you haven't experienced a loss, it's very hard to understand um, that connection with your mom. Like, I can't talk with friends about this, I'll be crazy. You know, or like, it's just, I haven't found people that I can openly share these things with that have so much meaning to me. And it's been very isolating, but I think that's why I've turned inward and I'm so introspective and have become spiritual. It's because of that loss. So mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. yeah, there's meaning mm -hmm. from everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Sierra, I hope you give yourself a lot of grace <laughs> because hearing your story, you would have every right to be bitter and angry and resentful and carry yourself from that type of persona. 
and you have chosen and been guided to, um, what were the words you used? Be genuine and authentic and kind, Mm -hmm. even with all the history that you have. And so I hope that you give yourself some grace and realize how, how remarkable that is. You're, you're not, you're not living your life as a victim. You are living your life with purpose, honoring your mom, taking the things that you learn from her that you need to learn about yourself still for years to come. It will be, but you really, really, um, are doing a remarkable job. Thank you. Keep, keep up the hard work because it's not going to stop and it is going to be hard. Um, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm So I usually finish the podcast. If you have a final thought or something you want to share before we wrap up. Um, I guess, I mean, I hadn't thought about this in advance, but just winging it here. I just to thank you to you um, for your time. And also like, I guess to anyone that listens, just a sense of love. Like it's so lonely and so isolating and so painful going through that sort of loss and like being in the world and having to function when you feel like you have this like major scar um but just that like you're loved and that like whether it's me or like people in your life like or your mom you know if you believe that she's still watching down on you like that that sort of thing is so real the love is the fabric of our existence and yeah that they are loved and to try to hope that buffers some of the pain a little bit because it doesn't go away but there's always some joy in somewhat equal measure for the pain and I love that you used the word fabric because I think the the what I was saying to you about giving yourself grace for for being so um, open to your journey. Using the word fabric also means like you you have to be able to be at a place to receive the love, right? If we're yeah. constantly beating ourselves up and judging ourselves and being so hard on ourselves it really yeah. closes off that opportunity to be able to receive. So fabric, right, is woven and have little <laughs> spaces in between. You pick the perfect word for that to say to people out there, open yourself up, loosen up that fabric a little bit so that you can receive it because there is love out yeah. there for everyone. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sierra. Thank you for being thank here you. and sharing your story. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.